Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast today. Owen Murph and Ken all here. Hi, guys. Thanks very much for being here. Hello there. Hello. Uh, lots of us use the phrase l'esprit de clocher. What would you think I meant? Uh, I would say that you're talking about the home records of French rugby teams. Literally, Murph, it means the spirit of the bell tower. But yes, what it signifies is pride in one's home place, appropriateism, often used to explain why French rugby clubs traditionally struggle to perform away from home, but absolutely refused to die and ever be beaten at home. That's that French term again. L'esprit de cloche. L'esprit de cloche. I bring it up now because today we talked to US Murph about his local NBA team, the Golden State Warriors, their record at home this season. 41 games played, two games lost. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Clearly possessed by L'esprit de cloche, these Golden State Warriors boys. Just don't tell them that. You're playing like a French rugby team, lads. Keep it up. <laughs> Keep up that great record. Uh, they're doing unbelievable. Well, as long as they've home court advantage yeah. in uh, all of their playoff games, they'll be just fine. They're basically the best team happens. in the NBA at the moment, which doesn't mean they're going to win it, but they've been the best team in regular season, one of the best regular season records. Uh, Sixth best of all time. Sixth best of all time. That's, That's pretty good. And they're quite confident, judging by one of the interviews you read. Yeah. I uh, read, it, read uh, uh, an interview with Draymond Green, uh, who's one of their star defensive players yep. uh, on Grantland with Jonathan Abrams and uh, at the end of the piece um, Abrams writes near the end of our interview I asked Green if there was any question we hadn't covered you haven't asked me do I think I'm the defensive player of the year he said yes I think I'm the defensive <laughs> player of the year <laughs> uh, whether that's a joke or not uh, it's, it's good oh no it's no he, he goes he on to explain why he's the, uh, oh, the defensive player bit of a Richard German Oh yeah, yeah. He don't he, throw. Well, 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 yeah. Basically, it's uh, you know there's a lot of new metrics out there in basketball to measure um, defensive excellence, and he reckons if you study all of those, that his numbers <laughs> are, uh, are pretty hard to beat. We'll get you as on about all that in a little while. If you caught our TV show last week, you'd have seen a serious piece of journalistic work carried out by Murph here to try to discover the secret behind the most iconic GAA fashion statement of all time. Just why did Trevor Giles? wearing a sleeveless jersey during Meade's March in 99. 
All Ireland final. Murph, it was a, uh, it was. I mean, it was some of your best work. I must thank say. Thank you, thank you. On that, that means a lot. We I appreciate. That. Have had a huge amount of interest in the story since then. CNN, Reuters, BBC, all those kind of guys. They've all, they've all been on trying to mm. just find out a little more. Can you do more digging, guys? Happy to help World Media. It's only right to get Trevor onto today's podcast. Onto today's podcast, I should say, to tell us the real story behind why Wars. I've um, I've been humbled by the reaction uh, to my <laughs> film since its release, and. Um, I'm ju- I'm just glad that I've been able to you know paint a picture I suppose you know in f- on film um, that people have really taken to their hearts and minds and uh, your film really shone a light in the human condition <laughs> truly <laughs> truly did truly did Ken yeah I want you to shine a light into the human condition of Thierry Henry <laughs> Thierry Henry he's rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way well Thierry Henry this is you see Sky were doing the the their punditry last night in a you know in a studio environment. Jeff Selling, Graham Sinus, Jerry Henry, Jimmy Carrigan. Didn't look as though they were at any particular stadium. Looked as though they were in London watching the matches on TV. Fair enough. Uh, and the you know, they're sort of hermetically sealed, I suppose, from the outside world. And um, in that environment Jerry Henry somehow allowed himself to say something that turned out to be quite controversial. <laughs> Although he only did it because he didn't realise that what he was saying would turn out to be controversial. It, sudden, it was suddenly uh, Thierry Henry's sort of internal mental uh, architecture uh, had a had an unpleasant collision with the with the rest of the world. And it's every, like water torture. If you put him in front of a TV camera for long enough, he will eventually say he he broke down and eventually said something. Fine, here it comes. <laughs> right, right, scumbags. You've had me in the studio for hours now. Uh, the thing the thing that he said was uh, was that uh, Javier Hernandez, who scored the winning goal for Real Madrid uh, just before the end of the match against Atletico, and then ran off and celebrated the goal. In fact, celebrated the goal selfishly and should have acknowledged, should have, should have gone to celebrate with the man, as Thierry Henry put it, should have acknowledged the role that Cristiano Ronaldo had played in creating the goal, Cristiano Ronaldo with the assist. He didn't go so far as back as to say James Rodriguez, who in fact had really made the goal, in my opinion, with this little uh, control and beautiful pass into the path of Ronaldo. I mean, you could, you could go back a long way. Every pass, ultimately, is significant. We do tend to celebrate the goal more than the others just because it comes at the end and oftentimes it's supposed to be forgotten. But, you know, when you, when you think about it, the whole chain of events mm. is equally significant. Henri is saying, don't take anything away from that pass. Uh, you know, you've got to go and celebrate with the uh, goal scorer. But, you know, why just the assist? Why stop there? Go right back to the goalkeeper. Go, well, no, go all the way back. The referee is the one who's, who brought the ball out into the field. Put the ball down. <laughs> You know what I mean? So Henri, anyway, seemed to think that that Hernandez was uh, was being uh, egotistical, egocentric in celebrating this goal by himself. He thought he was probably probably going to be followed by his teammates, but they all had their own they ideas. They jumped over him in the case of James, or veered around him in the case of Ronaldo. Yeah, I think Tony Kroos jumped on him eventually. Yeah, Tony Tony Kroos like this is a bit weird. None of us is really, really <laughs> seems to congratulate. He did score, um, but yeah, Henri. Has has then been taking some um, some flack, and and he hasn't really taken much flack because he doesn't really stick his head above the parapet much. There's nothing there for the flack to be fired at. You know, it's just um, just nothing <laughs> most of the time. But in this occasion, people are like, oh, you know, how can you say that? You know, uh, have you never seen Cristiano Ronaldo play football? Do you not know what he's like? You know, do you think that he would have, etc. 
and uh, Thierry now seems to be on the offensive. Oh, he's uh, been back de- today. The, the defensive, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's tweeting. Um, he, he he tweeted a video of Michael Laudrup. He's like, look at this video. You've one of the most unselfish players in the game, showing the significance of the final ball. And then he's tweeting again. That is football. That is hashtag Michael Ladrup. <laughs> that is an hour and 23 minutes long. So if you have that amount of time to, you know, dedicate to a YouTube clip for, you know, on the back of a quite specious argument, really. Is it just a long, is it just a long clip of... Oh, it's an amazing video. A long set of highlights of Michael I've actually watched a lot of this video before. I don't think I've sat through the whole thing because it's nearly as long as an actual full match. But it is an amazing video of Michael Laudrup uh, playing. Not, not all of them assists. A lot of them are kind of balls from midfield, in behind, in between the centre-back and full-back, just perfectly rolled into the path of a, of a guy running down the wing. That kind of stuff. I'm kind of like, yeah, Jerry, we point? know. We, exactly. Is, well, what's yeah. your point? Yeah, we all know. We all know. Who is saying the final ball isn't important? Who actually says that? Does it, is there anybody who says, oh, no, the assist doesn't matter at all? Was there anybody saying... Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, he doesn't deserve any credit at all. No, I don't think I don't think there was anybody. People were just giving Hernandez his one moment in the sun that he's going to have before he's booted away out of the club. This Let summer. the guy enjoy. Like he scored, he scored the goal. He missed a lot of chances and eventually he got one. It's a he's big moment of relief. Playing, he's going to be playing for Malaga next season. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's like, one. let's just. I mean, uh, you know, he said it like you know he was well, like he scored in the World Cup. I don't, the World he, Cup he actually said, "I don't like it." Like I don't like yeah. the way he celebrates as though he's just won the World yeah. Cup. There, that that comparison is a little bit more worthy when you're playing in a game that's a million miles away, removed from the World Cup final. This is a Champions League semi-final, second leg. It's not the Champions League final, which is the second most important game after quarter the World Cup final. Quarterfinal. Uh, quarter final. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, but I mean, it's still a pretty big Champions League game against your hated city rivals. I mean, it works if it's Stoke against West Ham on, you know, uh, in April or May when nothing matters either way. I mean, this is still a pretty big game. If he wasn't celebrating and, like, goes back to shake Cristiano Ronaldo's hand, then it would be a little weird. Yeah, I, 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 I saw quite a good uh, comment on this, actually. Something stirred in the memory of Mark McCadden of the star uh, who remembered something. From a far off field on Paris, November 18th, 2009. And it was it the 18th, 19th? Sometime, November 2009. It doesn't really matter. On. And what we have here is a photograph of some celebrating French players. We've got William Gallas uh, to the right of shot. We've got, I think it's uh, Diara uh, with his arm around Gallas. We've got Bakary Sanya congratulating them. We've got Nicolas Anelka uh, joining the party. And then way back in the background, uh, a good 10 metres behind these guys, out of focus, but clearly visible, and celebrating palms raised to the sky, eyes raised to heaven, uh, talking one-on-one to God, his only equal in the stadium, is the architect of that goal, the man who provided the, the assist. Man. You the, man the, man. The, the man, the man in his number 12 France shirt, celebrating all alone. Nobody has turned to recognise the part that he played in this goal. But could that goal have been scored without the quick thinking of Thierry Henry? Certainly not. No. That's Thierry Henry's goal. And William Gallas is celebrating there and he's a, he's a big cuckoo. He's a fraud. He's a dog in the manger. <laughs> Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry is the man who should be getting the glory. And maybe Mark McCann speculates this is what's eating him as he uh, sees Ronaldo being so cruelly ignored by that egomaniac (laughs) (laughs) speaking of egomaniacs let's talk to US Murph 
Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Got it. Touchdown! Touchdown, Gordy! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Brian Murphy, it's been a few weeks since we last spoke, and in that time, your local basketball team have become the unstoppable juggernaut of American sport. How about that, boys? You uh, you go away for a couple weeks, you do your TV show, and I got myself an NBA titan on my hands here. Yeah, it's so funny because I was thinking we've done this show so many years, and I know you guys love the NBA over in Ireland, and we, we've talked so much LeBron and Kobe and Kobe and LeBron. And finally, the spotlight shifts to my downtrodden, hapless, formerly downtrodden, formerly hapless, formerly forgotten Golden State Warriors, who I'm sure many people over there have a very little idea on, given that you guys are so LeBron and Kobe-centric. And uh, and now we get to hog the spotlight and, and talk all about Stephen Curry and Draymond Green and all the great Warriors, the Splash Brothers and Clay Thompson and the great atmosphere that we have here in the Bay Area that we're all so proud of. And, yeah, so it is a great banner, awesome, fantastic time for our basketball team, which we hope can win the NBA championship. Got a long way to go, and uh, I haven't done it yet. But, man, they're they're right up there with LeBron's Cavaliers in Vegas as the favorites. Yeah, you're in the playoffs. Two games up already, two to nothing up against uh, New Orleans. 67 wins in the regular season, 15 losses. Only two home defeats I heard all season. This sounds like uh, a fairly impressive record. It is a it is an absolute steamroller of a team, and the funniest thing, guys, is like the history of the Warriors. Really, and, and I'm not exaggerating when we talk about really about the last 20 years, there was a brief flare up, almost like a uh, almost like some sort of uh, infection. A brief flare up in 2007 <laughs> when the famous the We Believe team that was uh, nicknamed by a fan who brought a sign and made some shirts that said We Believe. Uh, and, and the fans kind of adopted it, and everybody just calls them the We Believe 2007 Warriors. Now, they weren't anything overly special. They were the team that made the eighth spot in the NBA Western Conference, and only eight teams make it. So that's how excited we were for so desperate for success that when the Warriors in 2007 nabbed at the last eighth spot there in the Western Conference, it was considered a huge triumph, and we made shirts and slogans about it. And they delivered the goods under a very charismatic coach, Don Nelson and the uh, talented point guard Baron Davis, they knocked off the number one seed Dallas Mavericks. It was the first time ever an eight seed had beaten a one seed in the best of seven series. So it was historic and it was great. And the Bay Area went nuts, but that thing had a, had a shelf life. They met the San Antonio Spurs in the next round. And even though they took them to six games, it was good night, Irene. But back to the, to the lowly Warriors. And we're talking about a franchise, just to give you guys a little history here. Uh, this is one an old historic NBA franchise that started in Philadelphia. They were the Philadelphia Warriors back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. They were famous for having one of the greatest players in the history of the game. Wilt Chamberlain was a Philadelphia Warrior. And then, as we've talked about with baseball and the Giants and the Dodgers moving from New York to California, mm-hmm. the westward expansion hit, and the, the Warriors moved to San Francisco in 19. 19- uh, in the early 1960s. So there they were now, the Philadelphia Warriors turned San Francisco Warriors, and they had some decent teams, and then they stumbled into a nice golden stretch. They built an arena over in Oakland. 
that became, it sort of mirrors, like, it's kind of funny not to get too into it, but the Warriors' history sort of mirrors a lot of American 20th century history in that they went east to west after World War II, and then once they were in San Francisco in the 60s, then the lure of the suburbs and parking lots kind of lured them away from downtown San Francisco, and they built an arena over in Oakland, not to call Oakland a suburb, but really it was not San Francisco, and they had a big piece of land. They put a big parking lot up there right next to where the A's and the Raiders played theirs. It was called the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Complex, and they changed their name to the Golden State Warriors, of course, our California nickname being the Golden State, to kind of take the San Francisco off of it. And in 1975, they won the championship. That was the only championship in the history of the Golden State Warriors. It was led by a great player named Rick Barry, and they were that was the golden days. And guys, that was 40 years ago. They have not only, in those 40 years, not gotten back to an NBA championship, they haven't even back to an NBA finals. So we're talking about a 40-year drought, and we're talking about ending that drought this year under the great auspices of Stephen Curry, the point guard who's so spectacular and has won over so many fans and has become the new superstar in the NBA. So that's where we're at, kind of looking to end a 40-year drought for a historic team. Yeah, so Curry has uh, hit more three-pointers this year than any man in the history of the NBA. He's the best player in the best team in the league, so surely he's winning the MVP? <laughs> Get your bar stools. And your and your pints and start arguing. This is one of the great uh, bar arguments of all time, which is MVPs in most sports tend to draw uh, arguments. Uh, in a less to a lesser degree, this happened a few years ago in baseball with Mike Trout of the Angels and Miguel Cabrera of the Detroit Tigers. The NFL MVP award doesn't get as much attention. Sort of odd. I don't know why it doesn't get as much, but the basketball MVP because it's such a uh, naked sport to the eye. I mean, it's such a visible sport. These guys, five on five, you have your favorite players, you get to see all their moves one-on-one. It develops into a very passionate and sort of a partial argument. Players or, or fans of, of, of the game begin to argue about what's more valuable in the game of basketball. And for years, guys like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James made it into a no-brainer. Of course, Michael Jordan, the ultimate MVP. What, he went six of them, I think. And so there are times and it's a no-brainer who the MVP is. And generally, you'd say in the era of LeBron, it should be LeBron every year. But he had a big stretch this year where he was hurt. He missed a few weeks, and that really affected kind of people's perception of his season. So on the one hand, you can give it to LeBron every year because he's the best player. But on the other hand, this year, even though his Cavaliers are now coming on very strong, he didn't have a great regular season, and that's what the award is for. And now we're down to essentially two guys who people are arguing over. That's Stephen Curry, who we've talked about. Now, he's an interesting little guy, and you guys hopefully in Ireland are going to fall in love with him as you watch him because he's, a, he's not a big freak. He's not a gigantic man. Like, like LeBron is like an athlete from another planet. You can't even understand him. If Steph Curry walked into your office, you wouldn't really think twice. I mean, he is six foot three, six foot four, but he's slight of build. He's not a huge muscular guy. He's not a seven foot two guy like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's just a relatively normal dude who can do incredibly abnormal things with a basketball and shoot, shoot, shoot is one of them. He's already being considered by many the greatest shooter ever to play in the game. He's certainly the greatest three-point shooter. He's already zoomed past Ray Allen's records as the greatest three-point shooter in the league's history. He's only 26 years old, which is incredible. But he's also developed this amazing, what they call the handle, your dribbling skills. His dribbling skills have just soared into the stratosphere this year. He's crossing over and he's making spectacular passes. 
the analogy has been drawn to him to a, a legendary American basketball player named Pistol Pete Maravich from the late 1960s who used to wow people. So you got that. And on the other hand, you got this guy named James Harden for the Houston Rockets who's a sensational player who basically single-handedly took the Houston Rockets without Dwight Howard, their big guy, to the number two seed in the West by him being a relentless scorer, an unbelievably creative scorer. And people say, well, listen, Steph Curry has a lot of good players around him. He has Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Andrew Bogut. James Harden's really doing it by himself. So some people are arguing that Harden defines value because if you took Harden off the Rockets, it would hurt the Rockets more than if you took Curry off the Warriors. I could argue that if you took Curry off the Warriors, it would hurt them more than it would hurt Harden being taken off the Rockets because the Warriors became not just a good team, but a historic team. They had the sixth best record in the history of the NBA. So great argument. Depends on how you define a subjective thing like most valuable. Uh, you mentioned the Splash Brothers there. I assume Steph Curry is one of these Splash Brothers. Who, <laughs> who's, his, uh, who's his Splash Brother and what does that actually mean? You must be wondering what it is. I know it's kind of an awkward nickname. Even those of us here in the Bay Area are kind of like, you know what, we, I think we get it, but we're not totally in love with the name because it's sort of <laughs> weird. You've got to kind of take a couple of leaps. First of all, this goes back to the uh, Oakland A's baseball team of the late 1980s, who were, of course, the great steroid-fueled teams of Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. And those two guys were gigantic, muscle-bound sluggers who we both uh, later found out had pharmacies coursing through their veins, right? But in the 1980s, uh, 1988, 89, 90, they won three straight American League pennants by hitting monstrous home runs, huge home runs. And they they began, somebody nicknamed them, I forget who, but they called them the Bash Brothers. And so they had developed their own um, high five in which they took their meaty forearms and and smacked forearms when they crossed home plate. You could probably find it on YouTube. Uh, these gigantic behemoth steroided out guys crossing home plate, holding up their forearms at an angle and smashing into each other's forearms. <laughs> the Bash Brothers. So that was kind of a thing. So here we are now, 30 years later. Along come these two shooters, because as famous as Steph Curry is, the guy who's right behind them is a very talented player named Clay Thompson, whose father was on the Showtime Lakers of the 80s, Michael Thompson. He wasn't as famous as Magic or Worthy or Kareem, but he was a vital part of those 80s Showtime Lakers. Interestingly, Steph Curry's dad is also an NBA player who was a great player named Del Curry, the all-time leading scorer in Charlotte's Hornets history. So you have two kids who are sons of NBA players, who have turned into two of the greatest marksmen in the game. And it's funny that Clay Thompson's a couple years younger than Steph, and he, as he's coming along, is breaking some of the records that Steph already set as a young 20-something. So two guys who are breaking records with their three-point shooting, and that's what the game has really turned into as a perimeter game. We've gotten away from the, the big bashers, the big boppers down low, and it's really turned into a free-flowing perimeter game of which the Warriors have two of the best shooters Many people say they're the best shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA. And somebody said, well, heck, in Oakland right next door, you had the Bash Brothers. So right next door in the parking lot, you got the same arena. Let's call them the Splash Brothers because when the ball goes through the net, it splashes. That's clunky. This is clunky. Come on. Listen, we're big fans of American (laughs) sports nicknames. They're usually brilliant. But this is just, this is terrible. I'm sorry. Splash Brothers. man. I got Splash Brothers t-shirts heading your way now. You guys got to wear them around Dublin. <laughs>
tell us, Brian, the other story. And uh, we, we've talked about the Golden State Warriors now. We've, I'm sure you've, you've had your, uh, you've had your moment to talk about your local basketball team. <laughs> the big, the more broad sports story in America this week is Tim Tebow back in the NFL. Just wanted to ask you one about that. Yeah, Signed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, yeah, this is incredible. I, I want you to know, yeah. Brian. I am not sure we should be talking about Tim Tebow. The man is he's wrecking my head now at this stage. I think he's wrecking all of America's head as well. Is he? Well, you know what, guys? It's almost like you could picture like you ever seen a car run out of gas? It's like that story is like that car that's just sputtering and sputtering and sputtering because, yes, the Eagles have signed or are about to sign Tim Tebow and bring him to camp as the fourth quarterback. But as much as people tried to kind of get fired up to talk about it, it was almost like everybody was exhausted. And it was like, we have nothing left to say. He's not an NFL quarterback. He's not going to make the team. It's a bit of a publicity stunt. Chip Kelly and the Eagles are kind of identifying themselves as this unorthodox team that does unorthodox things. He's made a couple of curious trades this year. He's done experiments in sleep chambers and sleep stuff that he has sleep science that he does with his team. He, he Chip Kelly is the mad scientist. This fits with the Chip Kelly. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be unorthodox. I'm going to move to a different beat. I'm going to bring in Tim Tebow. But, guys, he has none shot of making the team. I don't even know if he's going to make it uh, into preseason. He hasn't played football since 2012. It's 2015. It's been a long time. He's been in the TV studio commentating on college football for ESPN. And that's been kind of his thing. He actually seems to have fallen into it quite nicely. As we know, he's a strikingly handsome and charismatic young man, so he always looks good on the TV set. So this one just feels like, <laughs> come on, you got to be kidding me. This isn't going anywhere. So try as we might, we can huff and puff, but we can't blow the Tebow house down. All right, Brian, listen, you're happy enough for us to join the Golden State Warriors bandwagon for the rest of the playoffs? Yeah, they seem really good, so we'll probably start supporting you, them, yeah? Oh, hey, listen, so I, just to give you guys a quick primer, I gave you the long-winded history of the franchise, how it mirrors American society, I gave you that, but just boil it down to this. A, by consensus, even if people aren't fans, they are viewed commonly as the most entertaining team to watch because of their rapid pace and their long-range shooting. It takes your breath away. When a, when Steph Curry launches a three, the whole building kind of draws a breath, and then it goes through the net. Boom! It explodes. Splash, and, you mean, and, Brian? Splash it? Yes, expl- yeah. Splash! Splash! <laughs> well, our coach is an unbelievably likable guy named Steve Kerr, who was a teammate of Michael Jordan's Bulls. He doesn't have an enemy in the world. He's got amazing. Uh, he's a former broadcaster who's waiting to be a, a brilliant coach. So Kerr's a likable guy. Splash Brothers are doing their thing, and 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 I'm not just saying this um, to be self-aggrandizing, but it is considered easily the best crowd in the NBA. It is a loud, manic, and passionate crowd that you just don't get in NBA arenas. NBA arenas are generally defined by kind of the long slog of a January game of the Milwaukee Bucks are playing the Orlando Magic and nobody really cares. Oracle <laughs> Arena, as they call it, is packed to the gills with crazed Warriors fans who are thirsty for 40 years. So when you guys watch, please take note of the manic crowd uh, situation. You you are now part of that crowd honorarily. And I want you guys to uh, to just say splash every time those threes go through the net. All right? Brian, great to talk to you. We'll, we'll do just that. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right, guys. All the best. I call that Ricky Roy and Steve Nash. Here we go. Stop it. That's one of those things. Stop it. How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. 34 years old. Oh, no. Robbie Keane continues to captivate. That's one of those things. Duffman 
can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. I mean, I'm just not having him, or if I don't care. Especially. The Splash Brothers is particularly bad in light of some of the old school names Brian threw out during that mm. chat there. Pistol Pete, Pete Maravich, Wilt the Still Chamberlain. Mm. They don't make nicknames of like that anymore, Murph. They really don't. They really don't. The Splash Brothers is an, a, it's an, a, it's an affront to all of the great American sport nicknames that we've heard over the years. I also uh, <laughs> like the way he refers to Steph Curry as being you know, a guy you wouldn't really, not an amazing athletic specimen, not a guy you'd necessarily pick out in a room. I mean, he's only six foot four. And well, 6'3 or 6'4. Six, 6'3, six, I mean, six, probably very... I don't know how Steph Curry functions on a day-to-day basis know, with this yeah. growth problem that he seems to have Just, encountered at some stage. He, he has to keep asking his teammates to fetch things from you know, high shelves and <laughs> stuff like that. Murph, you've got mail. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just... I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my we don't normally click, broadcast click, all the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click, around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mug, mug. Click, 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 click. Mm. So, uh, this week's scum email is actually a Facebook message uh, from Paddy Wright. He writes... Just heard this song on Spanish radio and thought you might be interested. Who stole it from whom, I wonder? What on earth could Paddy be talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is... I mean, I know there's a lawyer in the land that'll stand over that. So the original Sunday game theme tune, which is what we just heard there with Spanish lyrics, was written by James Last called Jaeger Latin. And Orti have always acknowledged that. So uh, nameless Spanish musician, you better just pray that James Last's family aren't in touch with Marvin Gaye's family anytime soon. <laughs> because otherwise you're in big trouble. I mean, that sounds, it does, the song does sound amazing. Like I would listen happily to four minutes of that song I would listen to either I think they're both incredible didn't they try to change the Sunday game music theme tune about 2004, 2005 and the country was up the country went nuts what did they change it to? Uh, oh just sort of doesn't matter you just don't change it random sort of you know buzzy sports whatever was doing the rounds in 2004 whatever it was seen as the the kind of music the kids wanted to listen to but they went back to back to basics it was was drum and bass I believe it was pretty heavy sort of Berlin based Kind of drum and bass, no, as, I, as far as I know. As that's that's my memory of it, at least. But uh, yeah, the, I think actually when TV Three got rights for the GA, the Sunday game said, "Right, hold on a second here. Now we're in a competitive market. We have this gold. Why the hell aren't we using?" It? So they went straight back to that. Then I think that's how I remembered it. Now. So Latin Hunter is what that that um, song is called. Yeah, Latin Hunter. Imagine Hunter, but now imagine he's in a you know Mediterranean country. Yeah, well, well that's I mean, pretty much the theme. I mean, I, I think you know the if if you asked someone, it was even the most rudimentary musical ability. You know the Sunday game theme tune. Just make it sound kind of Spanish. That's <laughs> you know, like that's basically exactly what they would, if in three minutes they would come up with that song. Although it is, of course, German in origin. That is a piece of Schlager music, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So uh, probably, yeah, kind of you know, Andre Rue. You ever see Andre Rue? 
Well, I have Sky Arts, so obviously. Sky Arts? It's ridiculous. Like, the Sky Arts channel is basically... Andre Rio, all day, every day. Yeah. Playing um, to these big uh, audiences of prosperous-looking Northern European people in... uh, Vienna. They all all seem to be in Vienna. Yeah. Well, they're often in um, Maastricht and basically anywhere within the old... um, Within the rivers uh, that are mentioned in the now uh, disused first verse of the German national anthem, <laughs> Any, anywhere Sticking within those four rivers, you'll find Andre Rieu playing to big uh, halls or pl- town plazas full of uh, very wealthy-looking, somewhat older Northern European people. And it sounds like what we just heard. Oh, he'll oh, well, he'll play all the, all your old lollipop classics, but um, essentially, it's it's kind of a a form of that, yeah. I think Andre Rue must have the best agent in music. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's done with that. He talent. speaks to the Northern European soul. Well, he's he's kind of its its instrument. It's channeled through him. It comes through him and is reflected back back to the people. And you know, that's uh, we don't have anyone really like that in this part of the world, do we? He doesn't speak to our our soul. We're I don't know. We're Western European, I suppose. But uh, and we can never really understand the appeal of Andre Rue. But. Uh, that appeal is real. We've got an Irish time second captain's football podcast almost ready to go. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here? You show me, man. Well, and we are going to talk about Champions League, uh, which was on over the last couple of days. Somewhat anticlimactic um, set of second leg matches. Pretty much all the teams went through. All the teams went through uh, that you would have. Well, maybe not Bayern. Bayern, but Bayern. You could say Bayern was anticlimactic, but it, actually, it was a brilliant performance. The first half was climactic, and then mm. the second half was. <laughs> the climax was the first. Twenty-two, half. twenty-eight minutes. Yeah, four 0 up after twenty-eight minutes, and then there was a sort of, uh, you know, after a bit of an aftermath, which went on for a yeah. few. Yeah. A then while. it just got to, oh look, Pep has a hole in his jeans. Yeah. Trousers. Oh, oh they'll sack the tailor now. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop talking about um, that. But yeah, uh, so we'll talk a bit about that, and um, it's. I'm really looking forward to that. We'll talk also on about Jack Grealish, and I know we talked about him on Monday, but since we talked on Monday. What has happened is that uh, the he's become one of the hottest topics in the uh, English media, yep. who suddenly have become very interested. So Martin Samuel in particular will talk about that article. So the situation is changing all the time. We're joined now by a legend of Mead football and of Gaelic football, two-time All-Ireland winner, two-time Footballer of the Year, Trevor Giles. Trevor, great to have you on the podcast. Since our last TV show, we've been inundated with complaints along the lines of, lads, a joke is a joke, but come on, why did Trevor Giles really play in a sleeveless jersey? Uh, so, so yeah, the truth of it. Um, I suppose I blame Ali Murphy um, for for suggesting it. Um, in '99 at Easter, I was physio with the under-17 team that went out to play Australia in the uh, compromise rule. So uh, I came back from Australia with a couple of the club jerseys, um, maybe Nessendon and Carlton possibly, and uh, I was just wearing them at training most of that summer. It was a decent enough summer, so. Um, the night before the Leinster final, Ali suggested it'd be a great laugh, you know, it'd look great um, if Mead went out, you know, with the, the sleeves, uh, sleeveless jersey. So, um, for whatever reason, I planted a seed in my head. And um, 
made a few number 11s at home over over the years gathered up and uh, literally yeah cut the sleeves off um, <laughs> so um, and were you expecting Ollie Murphy to rock up to Croker the next day with also with a sleeveless jersey on yeah ah no no in fair no he didn't give me his word on it now but uh, he just <laughs> planted a seed and I thought it's a bit mad when you look back on it but um, um I suppose you wouldn't do it if the team was going badly or if yourself was going badly. I suppose we, we had good hopes that year and our confidence was good. Um, I was after coming back from the cruciate ligament uh, the previous season, so I had a huge amount of work done and um, obviously I was feeling good about myself. Um, so it was just literally when we were running out onto the pitch, I, I stuck it on me and uh, we got a couple of free kicks early on, 21 yards out, and... There's me with the sleeves cut off and I kicked both of them wide. <laughs> and, um, which is a cause of concern, you know, because you make a bit of a statement like that, you kind of have to back it, it, back up. it up. Yeah, yeah. And um, the third free I got that day was was much harder one from the right-hand side. You know, and you're allowed to miss one or two as a free taker. If you miss three, they're looking at someone else to take them. So uh, thankfully I got the third one and uh, I went on. I played well that day and we beat Dublin. The team played well, you know, so... It's what all all gets forgiven uh, once once the team gets the result. Of course, yeah. You said that you you just threw it on right before going out in the field. Was that uh, w- w- a case of hiding it from Sean Boylan until then? I suppose you, you don't want to rock the boat in the dressing room. Um, I, I suppose so. Just for 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 ease ease of uh, atmosphere, or whatever. Um, I just. Um, I just threw it on when I went out and I'd say some of the lads didn't even notice it until the game started to be honest you know yeah um, co- comfort levels were high without the sleeves were they comfort it was a sunny day now um, I, I, I don't know it was just a kind of a mad thing to do and I suppose we won that day so I kind of stuck with it for the, the next day uh, against Armagh and uh, played reasonably well you know we won that game and uh, so it's coming up to the final, you know, if you think you're on a roll, superstition or, or whatever, you're not going to change. And uh, um, like there was there was problems with the CCC. Um, they, they fined the county board because I was attired differently to the rest of the team. So there was a fine. It, it might have been 500 euros or, or whatever. Um, and then it was doubled for the, the All-Ireland semi-final. Um, and then it was doubled again for the final. So, wow. Um, so, so the county board were <laughs> any chance they got they were discouraging me from doing it um, <laughs> right and rightly so you know like, you know when, when you look back on it um, you know everyone should look pretty much the same you know so um, but yeah that's but, like that's three and a half grand so over the course of three games which I suppose is, was no laughing matter at the time ah uh, yeah yeah you know when you look back yeah, it's a lot of money you know and um, you know in fairness Sean was keen for me to, you know, row in with everyone else, and uh, for whatever reason, I was stubborn on it, and I just went with it. Now, uh, again, I missed a penalty that day in the final against Cork, and uh, I, in fairness, I, luckily I had a good last quarter. I nailed a couple of important frees and won a few breaks. But you know, if, if you hadn't won the game and you'd missed a penalty, you know, and you kind of gone against the wishes, um, that wouldn't have been great, you know. So. Uh, so luckily enough, everything worked out. Um, I suppose following the All Ireland final, the county board got a letter from the CCC saying, um, for the first round of the championship in 2000, um, that if 
I or anyone else wasn't attired the same as the rest of the team, that the referee wouldn't start the game. <laughs> oh my um, God. So I thought things were getting a little bit more... Um, um, Hard line, maybe. Yeah. Uh, at that stage, yeah, right, rightly so. So so we we rocked up the following year against Offaly in the first round of the championship and um, I don't know if you remember, we had these kind of short sleeve jerseys. Now, kind of not sleeveless, but maybe half length sleeve. That was grand jersey. Um, we had a few injuries that day. We were beaten by Offaly and, and that was it. It was a straight knockout. So, um those jerseys never saw the light of day um, after that. So, um, so that was that was it, really. That was it, yeah. And you've uh, you've kind of relived it for us here and on the TV show in the last week. Was it was it nice to dust off the sleeveless jersey and have a your, stroll into Christmas? Yeah, your your Mead's jersey was in much better condition than mine. Well, we in fairness, I we bought ours off eBay. Oh, from some yeah. guy who'd obviously washed it like a thousand times. I presume you only washed yours once and then kind of left it as a as a bit of a, a memento. Yeah, well, just every Saturday after, like when I'm down in the local on the Friday, wearing it, just, I just watch it once a week. Uh, Good man. You had more fuzz, uh, had a bit more wear on it. All right. <laughs> uh, just lastly, Trevor, you're involved with the meat setup this year. Uh, how, how are you guys set? This is the this is the exciting time of year, I guess, when anything can happen in championship. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, for the second year in a row we finished third in Division 2 you know so just missed out on promotion on a head-to-head this year so going going reasonable um, so the, the team have had so three weeks away from us they've been playing two rounds of club championship so so back into it next Tuesday so um, we've Wicklow on the 14th of June in, in Navan so uh, focusing on that and you know just so it's the thing we haven't had over the three years we've been involved just we haven't had a full team to, to pick from. You know, we've always had some key key fellas injured. So, um, so if that's just a wish going into the championship, you just love to have all your best players available and, and in good shape. You know, um, that's really supposed to the wish if you gave me one at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Trevor, best of luck in the summer and great to have you on. Cheers. Okay, thanks, Owen. Take care. Bye. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. So, in summation, Murph, um, well, there, there's no, no, real, no real strong reason, reason yeah, yeah. why Trevor played in a sleeveless jersey bar. He saw the Aussies do it. Ollie Murphy seemed to have a little word in his ear. Mm-hmm. Yes, that looks good. He went for it. And that. Like many sports people, once they do something in, as he said himself, once a superstition is born, I mean, you got to go with mm. it. Doesn't matter if it costs your county board a few grand. <laughs> I like the idea. I like this image of the top dogs in the GAA in 1999. Actually, at the turn of the century, yeah, they spent their millennium night locked in talks, yeah. in meetings, working out how do we break Trevor Jones. We can't here. let before the millennium bug hits. <laughs> right, we need to sort out this this thorny Trevor Giles issue. Uh, because in the post-millennium bug world, who knows whether the GA will even exist. But we will, We have to have met our stand. Well, that was one of the things... We stand gonna, or fall on the length of Trevor Giles' sleeves. That was one of the things that was going to be taken out by the millennium bug, wasn't it? There were traffic lights, computers, yeah. no, flights, and Trevor Giles' sleeveless yeah, jersey. Yeah, sleeveless jersey, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it could have been book. chaos. <laughs> Thankfully, though, on the boffins of the world ensured that uh, it was business as usual. The rumours are that Christie's Pub, that featured in your... And your short mm. film, Murph, has been inundated with requests for pina coladas in the last... Well, I mean, I suppose in many ways it's like, you know, it's it's like Kong, you know, that was shown in the... Ma- you know, the Mam Cross mm. shown in uh, The Quiet Man, you know, that 
I suppose it has been immortalised forever now on film. Um, and who you know, hopefully the tourism boost that Connemara got from The Quiet Man can be replicated. Again, we're humbled. You know, uh, it's out there now. It's out of my hands. Uh, it's the world's. And we can only hope that um, the enjoyment of, of that film, of that, uh, that picture, uh, resonates through the ages. Can I see that look in your face? It's a look that says, wrap up this podcast, Owen. <laughs> and let's, get, let, let's get this football podcast out. Will do. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. I've been humble. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Ken. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, uh, um, Thank you, Ken. Thanks for